Good morning. It's my privilege to bring our Bible reading to you today. And we're, it's on page 830 in your Pew Bibles. And it's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people sorry, to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Friends, uh, welcome to our service this morning and... Uh... As you'd be aware, the sermon title is a great surprise. It wasn't a surprise that Argentina beat Australia this morning, uh, but we almost had them in the last minute. Uh, but it's a great surprise how God works in the world uh, to fulfill his purposes, and we have an example of that in this story. In this period of Advent, we are preparing and waiting for the Lord's birth. And it's important uh, each year, I think, to go back to the narrative, go back to the text, what does God say uh, in the various Gospels about the preparation time 
for the birth of Jesus. And uh, let me pray in light of that. God, we pray that you would speak to us, uh, give us a heart after Jesus, to know him, to love him, to follow him. And may we not be completely distracted by everything else, whether it's the World Cup, uh, whether it's our Christmas parties, end of year parties, family gatherings, that we would enjoy all those things, but that we would place Christ in the centre. And we ask that we would see him and know him and love him. Help us uh, to focus, we pray, right now and to focus through this season on your great love for us in the way in which you act in such surprising and miraculous ways. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, I'm aware some people love Christmas so much. Some people start wearing Christmas jumpers a month out. And some people put up their Christmas tree in October or November. Uh, They want Christmas now because it speaks of hope. Some kids feel the same way about Santa Claus. Young boy Matthew wrote, Could you come early this year? I've been really, really good, and I don't know if I can last much longer. <laughs> right? And some people, let me link to you to the first century, were waiting for a prophet to hear a word from God. And they were waiting also for Elijah. They were also waiting for a Messiah. Because there are things that the Old Testament spoke about and God's holy people were waiting. It's almost like, like this young kid. I don't know. We can wait much longer under Roman oppression, under difficulty. God, you said you would speak into the future. God, you said that a Messiah would come. God, you said Elijah would come. Things would turn around. See, when Luke wrote his gospel, uh, there'd been more than 400 years since Malachi's time. For 400 years, there'd been no prophecy recorded in Scripture for us when he signed of a prophet of God. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. There are 400 years between Malachi and the Gospels. Someone has said it was a dark period, about to experience a sunrise. Picture that. I've been getting up a little bit earlier than normal these days. Anyone else? Because there have been football games. I even got up at 2 a.m. one morning. What's wrong with me? Um... But we're getting up earlier and you see the sunrise. I don't often see the sunrise. But you see the closing line of Luke's first chapter spoken by Zechariah, John's father, described the birth of Jesus with a haunting metaphor. It's the rising sun from heaven. And he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet (coughs) into the path of peace. See, the night before the sunrise had been long and dark, but for the faithful people of God, bright flashes of hope from God's word assured them that the night would end, the day would come. Even Malachi uh, assured them of this. He says in Malachi 4.2, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness. Notice it doesn't say S-O-N, son, like Jesus, but the son, S-U-N, because it's speaking about the son who is Jesus will rise with healing in its rays, and you'll go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Isaiah had promised that before the glory of the Lord will be revealed, there would come a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah 40 verse 3, famous verse there. And Malachi spoke similarly as he wrote the final words of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. 
Friends, a long darkness was about to experience sunrise. Great plans laid in eternal ages by God began to activate. In one sense, the angels scurry around busily preparing for the dawn, preparing to come and speak. And the focus of activity would be Herod's great temple. To the temple house, the heartbeat of the Jewish piety. And some who had attached themselves to the temple were anxiously waiting the sunrise. One of those was Zechariah, but also his wife, Elizabeth. And God now, out of the darkness, speaks a light and a word of hope to this couple. It's a supernatural appearance. And they are a godly couple. That's the first thing you need to notice. God comes to a righteous couple, a godly couple, who delight in God, a man who is a priest. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless. And when you read those words in the Bible, you know it's going to take a miracle of God to turn the story. Was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Even those words will tell you there'd be great pain for this couple, great pain for Elizabeth. Hoping, dreaming for a child and it never came. Maybe some of you experienced that. Now older those days had passed until God steps in. Until God steps in. Zechariah's name means the Lord has remembered. I love that. And God picks people. God has not forgotten his people. And he's an ordinary country priest. There were 8,000 priests living in Palestine at that time. So picture, he's just one of 8,000. From the time of David, the priests were divided into 24 divisions. He was a member of the 8th division, Abijah. As a priest, he served at the temple for two one-week periods a year. That's all. Two one-week periods a year. Can you imagine being one of the priests and think, this is my time. I get to go to the temple. I get to serve God. And 56 priests were chosen by lot to participate each day. Elizabeth was also of priestly descent, the same name as Aaron's wife, a preferred name for a priest's wife. Her name pointed to the promise-keeping of God, Elizabeth. And now we know they were righteous, upright in the sight of God. It doesn't mean they were sinless, but they, a man and a woman who lived and conformed their lives to God's law. They were righteous, but not able to have children. In fact, as I commented earlier, in this period of time, barrenness, you'll notice her own language, was considered a disgrace, even a punishment. Imagine the shame that came with that in that culture. Well along in years. And then God speaks. But what's the occasion? Once in Zechariah's division, when he was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. Finally gets his chance to serve. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So God, in his sovereign plan, steps in to a really important time in the career of Zechariah to make his divine move. The honour of uh, offering incense in the holy place of the temple on the altar in front of the most holy place was the grandest event in all of Zechariah's existence. This is the moment 
before the most holy place. Many priests never had the privilege to do this, but this is his moment. And in that moment, God works in a fresh way to reveal that he is going to prepare a way for the forerunner, the one who would be born, who would then point to the one who would come after him, Jesus, who would take away the sin of the world. If you don't know, don't know where we're going, we're looking at this is the promise of John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus. The encounter, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. You imagine you're serving and all of a sudden you look. There's an angel. I don't know what an angel looks like. Has anyone seen an angel? Do you know? Can you be sure? He sees an angel. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I walked into a room the other day and uh, I came out. There were two doors and uh, I'd come in one door. Then I came out the other door. You should have seen the person jump <laughs> when I ran into them. It was like um, his horror story. And uh, can you imagine being there and you just turn and there's an angel. No wonder he's startled, gripped with fear. It's normal. You'll notice that uh, uh, in the Old Testament, whenever angels turn up, people are, are surprised. Right? They're startled. We do know from verse 19, the angel was none other than Gabriel who had appeared in Babylon 500 years earlier. We have that in, in the Bible. And in Daniel's encounter and vision had to do with the revelation of future messianic times. It looked forward to the Messiah coming and Zechariah's encounter with the same angel, Gabriel, now signals the dawn of the Messianic times. In the past, Gabriel spoke about what was going to happen in the future, hundreds of years later. Now he speaks again to John. Ever been surprised by God? As you head into Christmas, are you ready to be surprised by God's... Maybe not like this. This is a unique event in human history. Yet startled when God does the miraculous, the unusual... There's a somewhat humorous story told about a lady who was preparing for Christmas and she was about to book, uh, bake some Christmas cookies. Great Christmas story. Knock on the door. Went to the door and found a man standing there. His clothes were poor, obviously looking for some Christmas odd jobs. She thought, I'll help this man out at Christmas. And uh, she asked uh, when he said, do you have any jobs? And she said, uh, can you paint? He said, oh, I'm a really good painter. Well, she said, there are two gallons of green paint there and a brush. There's a porch out the back that needs to be painted. Go and do a good job. I'll pay you for what the job is worth. He said, fantastic. This is going to be a great help to me and my family. He goes out. He finishes the job. He does it quickly. Went back in. She went back into her cooking making. A bit later, knock on the door. The guy comes in. Paint all over his clothes, green paint. She said, did you finish the job? He said, Yes. She said, did you do a good job? Didn't even go out to test her. Just, did you do a good job? Yes, I did. But lady, there's one thing I would like to point out to you. That's not a Porsche back there. That's a Mercedes. <laughs> Don't be, you never know how you'll be surprised this Christmas. But another more uh, important story. A few years ago, there was a woman we were giving food hampers to. I didn't ask her to paint anything, thankfully. And... Uh, but uh, we drop it in, and uh, one day she rang me. She said, uh, I want to be baptized. I said, it's an interesting thing to say, and I wasn't sure whether she knew Jesus yet, whether she really believed in Jesus. And so I would take food hampers to her. We, we talked about her difficult life. And uh, I said, what brought you to this point? 
Because you say, we give a lot of food hampers to people and not many people want to show an interest in Jesus. They're happy to take the food. He said, I've been watching the movies of the life of Jesus. Jesus is the purest person who ever lived. One sense, as she said that, it took my breath away. Here is someone living in a social housing by herself with terrible illness, watching the life of Jesus and seeing the beauty of Jesus. Last Sunday uh, in the evening service, a man just turned up to our service. So you've been here before? No. So I used to live down the street, so I thought I'd come. I said, why did you come? Make some friends, learn about God. He said, can I sit by, by myself up the back? Because he was too shy to talk to others, sat up the back. And people engaged with him and talked to him and stayed afterwards and joined in the soccer games and, and so on. Takes my breath away every time I see little work of God, right? Just draw someone in. A few years ago when... Uh, we were looking at some budgeting and paying bills and so on. And uh, one of our men who, who loved Jesus and we loved him and cared for us, then received a letter in the mail. How God surprises you. And it says, uh, you've been given a quarter of this man's estate. So, well, that's a surprise. And then uh, that brought in something like $250,000. That led to this air conditioning unit has been put in here, by the way. We used to uh, have no air conditioning units a number of years ago before that giving. And uh, we were, people would be fainting right through Christmas. <laughs> with those little windows up the top, and all of a sudden God surprises you. He may surprise you in different ways. But be ready. He may surprise you by restoring a marriage this Christmas, or a prodigal son coming home, or a sinner saved. God does the impossible. When is your breath last taken away by the mercy of God? There's a prophecy then given, uh, the angel comforts Zechariah, the guy's freaking out, I've seen an angel, what happens now? The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. You've got to ask the question, what prayer? I wonder what he's been praying. Some people think, well, he may have been praying for a son. Well, probably not, because they're past uh, having children now, their age group. Maybe he's praying for the redemption of Israel. What good priests and prophets would pray for, looking forward to, to the Messiah coming, finally the salvation. It's going to be a promised son. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you ought to call him John. If he wasn't surprised before, he's shocked now, right? We're beyond uh, childbearing age. Uh, we've tried hard for many years. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. Even the name is unusual. You'll see later on in the story. But John means God has been gracious. See, God has shown favor. Now, God gives a specific name because John's going to have a, pu a purpose and it's going to display the grace and mercy of God. Now, my parents named me Evangelos. They did not know, it never crossed their minds that I would be an evangelist, did they? But in God's sovereign mercy, I have the name which speaks about a proclaimer of good news to others. Much more significant in this period of time, you give them a name that speaks a message. And that's what God does. So Daryl Bock writes, the fact that uh, a barren woman would have a child does this. Telling the story in this manner indicates that God has renewed his work amongst his people. His plan is again being taken up in a direct and active way. The story of John the Baptist and the one who follows him is a resumption of the sacred story of God's activity. The sunrise has come. God is at work, he says. What's the son's character and lifestyle to be like? He'll be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. 
for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be a great man. There's joy to the family, glory to God, honor to God, great in the sight of God. In fact, Jesus said about him, Matthew 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. This man will live an ascetic lifestyle, never to take wine or other fermented drink, special dedication to God. From birth, he's prepared for special service. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that he lives in the desert. He lived a simple life and ate locusts and wild honey. I was thinking about that and I thought, how does he make his parents happy with that? <laughs> it's not the middle class, well-earning job, right? That buys a nice house and a holiday house down the street to go away and invest significant money to superannuation so he can live a happy retirement. He'll bring great joy to his family and the guy's out in the desert. Honey and locusts, because he does the work of God. You see, a different priorities, different focus. I think when I think of John the Baptist, I think I say, suggest to you, bear grills with long hair and a beard in a tunic. He's out there, he's playing uh, the country life, the wildlife. But he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth, from his mother's womb. The gift of the Holy Spirit in a unique way. One writer says, such a total invasion by the Spirit is unprecedented in the Scriptures. God says, this one, John, I'm going to fill with the Holy Spirit. What would his ministry be like? He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So the people have not been following God. And you know, later when he was preaching and teaching, people were coming down uh, to the room to be baptized by him. He's calling to repentance and faith, turning away from their sins. This is what he's going to do. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, they look forward to Elijah coming. Look forward to the Messiah coming. They're a little bit confused. And Jesus is going to link John the Baptist to Elijah. He is the Elijah that you've been looking forward to. Not the same Elijah from the past, but he does ministry like Elijah. Malachi says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The prophet Elijah had denounced the apostasy of his own people in the Old Testament. He had withstood the pagan prophets of Baal and God rained down fire from heaven on his behalf. Now John the Baptist would minister in the same spirit in the same power. He's not the same person but he ministers like him. Jesus said of him in Matthew 17, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. You ever confused? Don't be confused. When's this Elijah coming? He's come. It's John the Baptist. Comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's going to turn people back to God. He's going to turn families back together. Families have been dislocated. Families are fighting. Families are separated. The fathers are now going to start caring about their children. The children are going to start caring about their fathers and their mothers. You see, it brings harmony in relationships. And he would point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever been asked this question as a Baptist. When I uh, started going to a Baptist church, people often said to me, I had one guy said, so, oh, great, I always wanted to meet a, someone who was a follower of John the Baptist. 
<laughs> I said, no, 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 we're not followers of John the Baptist. Someone came up with the name Baptist Church. Um, but uh, no, no, we are followers of Jesus because John the Baptist points us to Jesus, who is the Messiah. He is the forerunner. He's the one who prepares the way. We do not worship John the Baptist. We worship Jesus. So how do they respond? How would you respond if you received a message from God, a word from God? And by the way, you have a word from God. It's in here. How do you respond to it? Surprise, doubt it, disobey it, mock it. I have so-called Christians who take to pull out pages out of it when they don't like it. You like that? I'll take that chapter out. I'll take that chapter out. It doesn't suit me. Or God couldn't really be saying that. We'll rip that out. Not in the 21st century he couldn't. I'll rip it out. How do these guys respond to the word of God? Well, Zechariah responds with disbelief. Do you blame him? How do you think you would have gone? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. There's several reasons, let me suggest to you, why Zechariah should not have doubted. He knew the scriptures. He knew about the divine interventions in the births of Isaac and Samson and Samuel. He should have concluded that God could do it again. He knows his Bible. If God chose to, he can do it again. Zechariah was a priest, not an atheist. He was noted for his faith and piety. He was offering prayers to God in the temple on the most important day of his life. He should have had a bigger view of God, someone suggests. He was being confronted by a being he knew to be supernatural, thus to his terror, so he knew the message was from God. But the truth is sometimes so unusual that even good people have doubts about God's promise. I've doubted God's word from time to time. Come across something, you go, God, I'm not quite sure I want to do that. Trust him. Do what he says. So God says, Zechariah, you're not quite sure? You want some evidence? I'm just going to be quiet for a period of time. You watch me work. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, he says. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah is temporarily mute now until John's birth. Nine months of silence to reflect on his situation. I pro it's a good advice to listen to God, don't you reckon? <laughs> God tells you to do something. Don't go against him and then suffer the repercussions for the next year or the rest of your life. Sometimes we make choices contrary to the word of God and then we live with the consequences. For Zechariah, God says, well, I'm just going to keep you quiet for a little while so you can learn and reflect. Meanwhile, the people, people were waiting while Zechariah took such a long time in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. That would have freaked him out. Imagine, well, he can't talk any longer. Are you okay? What's going on? And it, I mean, it takes a while to learn sign language, right? <laughs> and he's trying to communicate. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. What about Elizabeth? Well, she rejoiced in God's favor. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant 
and for five months remained in seclusion. She pictures the righteous saint who takes her burden to God and rejoices when the burden is lifted. She knows this is an act of God's grace to her. The Lord has done this for me. Can you imagine her words? Me, pregnant, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Friends, what joy as the sunrise comes out of the dark period. The sun is starting to shine and she is going to bear a child who will point forward to the Messiah who will be born on Christmas Day. The sunrise in one sense will not come until the birth of Jesus. From this point on, there was a glow in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their faith grew and grew. They would soon host a young woman named Mary who was pregnant with the Son of God. That's next week's message. They would hear her sing the Magnificat. And the speechless Zechariah would one day sing a song of faith, what's called the Benedictus. You'll get that at the end of Luke 1. If you want to do something this week, read Luke chapter 1. Read the rest of the chapter. Read it. And Zechariah at the end praises God. Because the waiting is over. It's time. It's time for the Messiah to be born. The one who would die for our sins the one who would give us eternal life. I was at a funeral the, the other day and uh, Reverend Michael Glenatsis, a Greek Baptist pastor, he was 88, served the Lord for many years. But there was a verse that they mentioned time and time again has been one of my favorites that he wanted to proclaim. It says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. A beautiful message. That's what the Messiah was going to do. That's what John the Baptist was going to point forward to, the coming of the Messiah who would die for us. We can cross over from death to life. Have you talking about a surprising work of God? Michael, uh, let me give you, as I conclude before we go to the Lord's Supper, he was a young boy, 10 years of age, living on an island in Greece. They were at a funeral. He went to ring the bell in the Greek Orthodox Church. The Allied forces accidentally bombed the home all his family were in. Not the enemy forces, the allied forces. He raced back to his house to find four brothers dead and a mother dead. And there are other people who died in that place. Tragic, traumatic. At the age of 17 or 18, he moved to Australia to live with an uncle to try and get a job. And, and while he was in Australia, in this surprising work of God, he was in in the city around the Surrey Hills area, Salvation Army guys were evangelizing on the street, street preaching and singing about Jesus. He got drawn into the message of hope and life. He was trying to make a life out here with meaning and significance. He couldn't find it and he heard a message of God's love and God's transformation. And he got saved and he started to work and volunteer among some of the uh, small churches in that uh, inner city area. His wife says to me, and just unbelievable, he was the shyest man. I, I can't believe that God has used him like that. God can take anyone because God does his surprising work through ordinary people like us to fulfill his mission. A few years later, he, he then uh, kept wanting to reach Greeks, so he started to reach Greeks and then he set up a Greek fellowship and then the Baptist denomination said, why don't you go to Morling College and train and do a degree in theology? And then he did that somehow and he passed all of that and then he got ordained and then uh, he was doing radio programs here at this church on our radio station that used to be here. Four nights a week. And people would ring up and they hand out Bibles to everyone. And, one, and I had him speak at my wedding, by the way. 
And uh, a few years later, he said, Angelo, I'm doing a television program now. I said, what do you older Greek guy know about television shows, right? He said, oh, I've got some people set up some cameras for me. I'll go to my house. And talking about surprising things, I go to his house in Burwood and we go up the second floor. He's got a, a picture of Sydney Harbour and the Opera House in the background. I sit at a desk with a microphone and, and I'm speaking to a camera and it goes out on community television. Here's this guy who doesn't have the resource and the skills of a Nawi Baptist, just quietly serving the Lord. Ordinary person. Glory of Jesus. And then he was running Bible studies in Blacktown. And Ashfield then moved to Irwood. Then he was, had a Bible study in Wollongong because people would hear the radio program say, can you come down and run stuff here? And I was on a mission at Wollongong years ago with my college and they put me, to, or put me in a home to stay with a family where they were Greek believers. And they made me run a Greek Bible study in Greek. My Greek's not that good, but I managed it. So anywhere I went... Some people become famous, some people have platforms, some people have television ministries. This is just quiet guy, the shyest guy, his wife says, who just loved Jesus. Said, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want. And God used him to see hundreds and hundreds come to Jesus. Are you ready this Christmas? How's God going to use you? How's God going to take your breath away? It won't be the birth of John the Baptist. <laughs> but be open, be ready, be available to God, for God to use you. Let me pray. Lord God, we pray that we would obey your word, that we would listen to your word. We will not doubt your word. But this Christmas season, God, that we would be ready and available to speak words of hope and comfort, to speak the words of the gospel to all who need to hear it. Lord, we dare to pray that you would so act that would take our breath away and know it's all you and not us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.